Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie. If you have anything you'd like to share with me, you can contact me at jewelsays at gmail.com. I just got an email telling me that Facebook won't do podcasts anymore, which, I mean, I'm not active on Facebook particularly anyway, but I was using it to post pictures and links and information about the podcast. But anyway, it's going away. Sorry about that. The grandmother tour is almost over. I'm flying back to Toronto on Thursday. Legally Blonde was fabulous. Oh my God. The Kelowna Actors Studio actually does a dinner theater. You have the option of doing dinner theater or just getting a ticket for the show. So I had the dinner theater and it was really surprisingly good. I don't see that they have a kitchen there, so I don't know how they do it. The show was fantastic. Joanne was fantastic. Everyone else in the show was really wonderful. So I've been to other productions by the Kelowna Actors Studio, and they've all been great. So if you're in the Kelowna area, even if Joanne isn't in a show, check some of it out. It's fantastic. There are a lot of elderly people in the Kelowna area, so it seems to be a great place to retire. And it seems to be a fun place to retire. I was chatting with a doctor while I was here, and he said that he sees his fair share of STIs among the elderly, so... Have fun, but be careful, people. Be careful. Okay, holy shit. I can't really ignore the whole going back in time a la Handmaid's Tale. I mean, God, aren't we past that? Aren't we living in a secular society? At least legally. It's scary. I'm not even going to get into all the valid points people are raising, such as a corpse isn't even obligated to save lives with their organs or how the same people who care about the unborn don't want to contribute to health care, education, or safety for anyone after they've been born. I said I wouldn't, I said I wouldn't, I said I wouldn't, but ugh, my favorite is, if you don't want a baby, don't have sex. That's great. First of all, anyone who says that better not be having sex unless they want a baby. Not with your wife, not your mistress, a sex worker, no one. Okay, maybe another man that's safe. Unless you're a person who ovulates and has a uterus. I've heard women make these comments too. People with these attitudes should just keep all their jizz to themselves or a sock. Secondly, do they realize how many women and girls don't actually have a choice as to whether or not they're going to have sex? Even setting aside the more obvious rape or sexual assaults. 
Nebraska was the first state to outlaw marital rape in, get this, 1975. I was 15 in 1975. So for me, it certainly isn't ancient history. The last states to withdraw the marital rape exemption were Oklahoma and North Carolina in 19-fucking-93. I was 33 years old. Catherine was 10. That may seem like ancient history to you, but it's modern, recent history. Even so, South Carolina remains the only state where the level of force or violence used or threatened must be higher than when you just rape someone who's not your wife. I know a lot of women who have marital sex just to avoid an argument. It's not worth the argument. I don't understand why anyone would want to have sex with someone who isn't interested. And if you're dominating and berating someone and criticizing them all the time, they're not going to be interested in having sex with you. But I guess in many cases, it's a power thing, so maybe they don't care. Marital rape was first decriminalized in Canada in 1983. The common law presumption of a marital exemption was overturned by the House of Lords in the UK in 1991. I know that I grew up assuming that it was the wife's duty to provide sex for the husband, whether she wanted to or not. I also grew up assuming women didn't really like sex or want sex. Seriously, we do absorb the messages that we're swimming in in our society, whatever society you grow up in. But thankfully, we keep thinking and learning and growing. I certainly do not hold those beliefs today. And men don't have to control us. You might think that women like tough men who dominate, and I guess some women do, but a lot of us just suffer through it until we find a way out, if we ever find a way out. The kind men really appreciate us too. I can't imagine feeling as though I have to control someone. I don't imagine that, that that would make anyone feel that they're living life with a full, happy, loving heart. Now, I've personally never had an abortion, but I've had miscarriages, and women are being grilled and sometimes charged, apparently, when they miscarry in the States because they're under suspicion of abortion, as, as if it isn't enough to be grieving a baby you wanted. I do have friends and family who've had abortions, and for different reasons. Some were just young and not ready for a baby. Some were single mothers who could not afford to raise another child. I know one woman whose baby was so badly deformed that he or she had zero chance of survival outside the womb. Is it fair to demand that this woman carry that baby to term, only for it to suffer and die? I know another woman who was in a similar situation, and she chose to have her baby and carry her baby to term. The choice is very, very personal, and you cannot possibly legislate all the potential reasons that someone might have for being in a position of making that choice. The law tends to be a very blunt force. Some were ectopic pregnancies. Apparently, and I hope the reports I've read about this are fake news, but apparently removing an ectopic pregnancy 
is on the table as potentially illegal in some U.S. states, which is absolute apeshit. An ectopic pregnancy, which is when an embryo attaches to the fallopian tube, cannot, will not survive, and if left untreated, will also kill the mother. I would like to see the ectopic pregnancy removed and implanted into one of these legislators' vas deferens and see how much they enjoy that. Here's a thought. Maybe we should change the organ donor rules so that you have to donate your organs if you can save someone else. An actual living, breathing human being. Everyone gets tested for all the organ criteria. The results are kept in a database, which is stored very safely in the cloud. And if someone needs an organ, a match is chosen from the database. If you refuse to donate or somehow contaminate your organ, like if you drink too much, you might damage your liver, you're charged, convicted, and sent to prison for refusing to save a life. And when you die, your organs are taken. No need for consent. You know, the silver lining could be if we did this, that they would invest in including women in the data. Anyway... Way back in the olden days, when women who enjoyed sex were slut-shamed, thank God that's no longer the case, in the late 70s, early 80s, if a woman wanted an abortion in Sarnia, she had to go to a tribunal to be grilled about why, her lifestyle, what birth control she used, and God knows what else. And then the tribunal decided whether or not to allow the abortion. If you got pregnant... I'm not sure if this was still in the 70s. You had to quit your job once you were showing. For sure in the 60s you had to. Hang on. Yeah, early 70s even. Because I have a friend who had to quit her job when her babies were showing. You know, you couldn't win either way back then. If the tribunal didn't allow the abortion, would the people on the tribunal contribute financially to raising the child? Hell no. At least in Canada, we have access to basic health care and education. Could it be better? Absolutely it could, yes. Could it be managed more cost-effectively and efficiently? No doubt it could be. But at least even a poor mother in Canada has access to basic maternal health care. At 8.3 maternal deaths per 100,000 live births, Canada does not have the lowest rate but the most recently reported U.S. rate is 17.4. Let that sink in. I recently saw a documentary on hotdocs.ca called Aftershock about the maternal death rate of black mothers in the U.S. It's no longer available on the Hot Docs website, but if you can find it, I think it's worth seeing. Just for awareness, there are groups of people trying to change that statistic. Don't confuse this 2022 aftershock with the Chilean disaster film of 2012. This is a different kind of disaster. I just don't understand how people can deny women the right to choose what to do with their own bodies at the same time as not supporting access to maternal and infant health care, sex education, accessible birth control, And I know more than a few men who were relieved that their sexual partners had access to abortion. And I guarantee you, because this is a topic shrouded in shame, you know people who've had an abortion who would surprise you. My mother had an abortion in the late 60s. My father, Ted, was having a thing with his secretary at the time. 
and I remember meeting her as a child. Her name was Cheryl, a popular name of hot 60s babes, and I remember feeling intense animosity toward her and not understanding why. She was tall, with a big, crooked, protruding, toothed smile, brown hair, short, coiffed, I think. But what I remember most about her appearance is her very long, slim legs, which were topped with the shortest micro-mini skirt I had ever seen. I suspect my animosity was because I sensed my mother's dislike. Children are incredibly intuitive about their mother's feelings. I also suspect this liaison with Cheryl must have been going on for some time and may have been more meaningful than just a little fling or a one-nighter. Because that was the Christmas Ted brought home wrapped gifts for us, which he never did, before or since. The first stole he had gifted my mother was returned. Doroth later told me that the other wives had told her that Cheryl had been dancing and parading around in my mother's gift, the first stole, at the staff Christmas party. My mom hadn't attended because Ted told her spouses were not invited, but the other wives were there. That's what lying liars and cheaters do. They lie and cheat. So why did my mother have sex with her cheating husband? I know for a fact that she still loved him because she stuck with him until she died, even as she railed against his behavior. Also, in the 60s, don't forget, it was part of her job. I have no idea of the details, but I do know that she ended up getting pregnant during Cheryl's tenure as a side piece. She told me about this when I was, I don't know, I might have been 15 or 16. She said she wanted to get a divorce at the time, but was terrified to try to go through with it because she didn't have a full-time job or a way to earn enough money to support four children, let alone five. She was afraid to leave. But she also knew that if she had another baby, she would be even more trapped. Her youngest at the time would have been maybe five or six. So another baby would definitely compromise her financial ability to get out. And in those days, you had to provide grounds for divorce, maybe even proof. Regardless, she would have been conflicted because she did love Ted and wanted him to be a faithful, non-alcoholic husband. I mean, Ted had a lot of good qualities. He was handsome and funny and charming. He earned a good living. He was a good provider. No one is all bad. And I think she maybe thought that maybe she could scare him into straightening up. Abortions weren't available in Canada. So she went to England. Thank you, England, for helping my mother out in a bind in the late 60s. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
I'm sure she wanted my dad to say, no, don't, this is ridiculous, I'll stop, I'll do better. But that didn't happen. At the time, I was told she was going to visit a friend for a few days, which again was something she never did, and I hated it when she wasn't home. I was a bit like Violet is with her mom. She told me that the abortion clinic, and I have no idea where it was in England, I don't know if it was a clinic or part of a hospital, but I suspect there were also a few Irish women there. She said the clinic was like a cattle call. Women lined up, waiting for the procedure, going in, emerging like a production line. She said the staff were generally disrespectful. I'm sure they were rushed. Possibly many of them had their opinions about the whole thing, and they saw so many women every day. There wasn't much time in recovery when it was over. She didn't tell me how much, but I got the impression that it was basically in and out as much as possible. And she was ushered out and got into a taxi to rest at the hotel. But in the taxi, she started to bleed heavily. She said the kindest person through this whole process was the taxi driver. And I know I recently slammed taxi drivers in one of my recent episodes, but I did acknowledge from the start that most of them are probably lovely people. Hashtag not all taxi drivers. Anyway, he took her either back to the clinic or to a hospital where she was treated and told she could have bled out and died. I think she stayed in the hotel for maybe one night and then flew home. Now, obviously, my mother was married. She had four children, and although I'm sure the trip and procedure were a financial hardship to some extent, there are a lot of people who simply do not have the means or time or available childcare to make that kind of a trip or even to drive hundreds of miles. In her case, a tribunal, if one had existed, I think it was even pre-tribunal, but a tribunal no doubt would have said no. You're married, you have four children, you must have this one too. Not everyone who gets an abortion feels desperate, but she certainly felt desperate enough to do something that was risky, costly, illegal. She would have gotten an unsafe abortion if she had to. This was a woman who loved her children more than life itself. She just wanted to have a happy family, but that wasn't in the cards for her. Cheryl eventually disappeared from Ted's life. I have no idea when or how, but she was replaced along the way with others, even if they might have been less significant. I do know that this demoralized my mom. She had never been with anyone else, no one but my father, and I believe her. My mom's experiences are at least partly why I fear poverty and fear being financially dependent on a man. I don't know if I could have ever quit my job to be a full-time mother, not that I had the option when my children were young, but let's assume I had been married to a wealthy man who supported the idea of me being a house spouse. I don't think I could ever have trusted it. I need the autonomy that my job gives me, and my job at the bank in the 70s was clearly getting me nowhere fast. If you live in Sarnia even now, one of the best jobs you can get is a job at the plants, as they call it, Chemical Valley, featured on the Canadian $10 bill. When I first moved to Sarnia in 1976 with my parents, 
a strong south wind was blowing as we approached town on Highway 22. The smell was a punch in the gut, putrid, sulfur dioxide, I would later learn. But people often referred to that smell as the smell of money. Since then, the smell has improved dramatically as increased environmental standards have been implemented, so presumably the associated health risks have also abated. I had a friend who worked at one of the petrochemical plants, Petrosar, it was called. She was an executive assistant and would be involved in hiring a typist for the typing pool. Well, I never took typing in high school since I was going to move up at the bank, but I bought a book called Typing Made Easy, borrowed a typewriter from a friend, practiced every night, and applied for the job. If I got it, it would be a foot in the door, since being a bankerette was clearly dead-end. Very, very dead-end. Miraculously, and I say miraculously because they did even send us for a typing test as part of the interview process, I got the job. I did well on the interview, and no doubt my friend put in a good word for me, because the test... I couldn't have scored very well. I started that job in February of 1981, just a couple of weeks shy of my 21st birthday. I attended meetings, took minutes, typed up the minutes, plus anything else people wanted typed, handled mail, and filed. We had no computers in the office. We had typewriters, and not even the leading-edge technology of corrector tape. We used whiteout, typed over errors, and photocopied. Whiteout doesn't show up on a photocopy. The men would write their brilliant man thoughts on full scat paper, which we would type up. The only computer in the business offices was a word processing computer. And the more complex jobs, which used standardized templates and required storage on disk, were sent to the word processing team. I met one of my best friends, Terry, who I still love to this day in that word processing room. When I was in the band, there was an episode about the band recently before this one. She said to me, so sing something. I interpreted her tone as snide. So I said, bitch, and walked away. (laughs) I later learned that she genuinely wanted me to sing something. But anyway, we became fast friends later and laugh about that initial interaction still. What was the first thing I ever said to you? Bitch. I'm sorry. But let's be clear, I, even though I got the job, I was a pretty shitty typist. I hadn't planned on staying in that typing pool for long, though, so I hoped my other abilities would carry me. Years later, I was offended when one of the VPs repeated a story to me. One of the guys had said, Rob, you hired a two-fingered typist. And he said, yeah, but have you seen her? That's the way it was. I had an asset I didn't know I had, and the assets I thought I had were pretty much being ignored. Once I had my foot in the door, I used this opportunity to eagerly apply for any and all jobs that I thought I could do. I got a job in financial forecasting and analysis, which was largely administrative, but a promotion from the typing pool. I worked closely with a beautiful, fabulous, fun woman named Debbie. She was married, had two little children, ate Fritos and Diet Coke for breakfast every day, and smoked heavily. We all smoked at our desks back then. The ashtrays came out at every meeting, and everyone smoked in the meeting rooms, too. She introduced me to the joys of country music and was one of my bridesmaids when I married the girl's father. 
I loved Debbie, but over the years we lost touch. Working children, part-time schooling, and the busyness of family life didn't leave a lot of time for socializing with girlfriends. Sadly, she passed away when she was only in her 50s. Cancer. But she was so much fun. And in those days, the work environment was a little madman-esque. Unlike the bank, this company had the budget for lunches and enough staff that you weren't always rushing to get everything done. You didn't have inspectors coming in and counting the number of entries you processed. People outside the company used to refer to it as a country club atmosphere, and I suppose it kind of was. I worked hard, but there were a lot of work-related lunches, too. The men who were in charge would invite us for lunch, usually cover the cost with their expense accounts, and sometimes we would go to a bar after lunch and drink and listen to music and laugh. I remember once looking at the time and exclaiming, Oh my God, I need to get back to the office or I'll miss my ride home. We all laughed and laughed and laughed. (laughs) Were there any sexual shenanigans? Not that I was aware of, but it's entirely possible that I was oblivious to anything that might have been going on. I sincerely thought of myself as one of the boys, which was delusional in retrospect. They had curling events, golf events, bowling events, all of which you were expected to attend, as these were relationship and team-building events. I happened to be quite shitty at all three of those sports, but I did enjoy the fun. One of the men taught me the words to Bud the Spud, which was forever after my Canadian song when asked to sing at an Irish sing-song. If you've never heard of it, Google Bud the Spud by Stomp and Tom Connors, and then picture me singing it. I nicknamed one of the men Kissing Dick because after a few drinks, he would say, Come on, just give me a little kiss. We thought this was normal, and he always laughed about it when I said no and made fun of him for asking, so I considered it harmless. It's just what men do, I thought. And around that same time, he was running for some political office, I forget what, and I joked that I should be his campaign manager. His slogan could be, kissing Dick, your daughters are safe in his hands. He did not hire me to be his campaign manager. I do think he genuinely was a decent enough guy. This was all just normalized, and we all laughed about it. No one ever tried to pull anything harmful on me, though I'm sure my laissez-faire attitude impacted how seriously I was not taken, even though I didn't realize it at the time. One of the women I worked with said to me, you'll be a level eight in no time. You know why? Men think with their dicks. Again, I was offended because I believed I would succeed because I focused on learning, working hard, and going above and beyond. Why could people not see that? The country club, the country club vibe would not last, however. The economy tanked in 1982. Interest rates were hovering close to 20%, and Petrosar was put up for sale. A lot of people were laid off right around the time I married the girl's father. I was terrified. My dear friend, Bonnie, who hired me, took a voluntary severance package, thinking she would easily land an equivalent position elsewhere with the severance package in the bank. I don't think people really understood how deep and long-lasting this 
economic setback would be. I learned that the petrochemical industry is a volatile little bitch, so you need to not squander the good times. My friend never did find anything equivalent. She ended up working as a cashier in grocery stores for years. By this time, I had an administrative position in the information technology department. I got married in September 1982 and found out a few weeks later that I would keep my job. Some might say because men think with their dicks, but I think it was because I was one of the lowest paid, and I worked hard, focused on learning, and always went above and beyond to solve problems. Nine months and two weeks after the wedding, Catherine was born. She was two weeks overdue. When she was 15 weeks old, I started back at a new job in the computer room. A promotion at the time, and a place where women generally weren't hired. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please share, rate, review, and please get in touch with me if you have anything to share at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a wonderful week.